Welcome once again to Heavy Strategy, the show that gives you the right questions, or at least the questions we think are right, not the right answers. I'm here with Greg Farrell, and we are going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to his heart, which is power for data centers. Greg, I don't know how this happens to be near and dear to your heart, but uh, go ahead. So So it's odd, right? One of the things that I, when I think about infrastructure, I often think about fundamentals. I, I think of technology nearly all the time in fundamentals when I'm evaluating a technology. And one of the key issues of about data centers and AI, AI in particular, is they need power. And they need a lot of power. But more importantly, they need a lot of stable, reliable power for an extended period. So 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And the thing that tricked me off recently was we had a very casual conversation where we were talking about small modular reactors. And this is the idea that you could go out and get a small nuclear reactor. It's been floating around for like plenty of years, but recently it's sort of come back to come back to life as a much more practical sort of environmental, how are we going to decarbonize, how are we going to avoid climate change type thing. But if you're yeah, going recently, to... as in Microsoft made a commitment to go that route. Microsoft, yeah. Okay. So let's let's go with that, right? Let's just say like there's been talk of various data centers. And the, the thing that I thought of here is that actually are modern data centers suitable for the use of small modular reactors? If that's the case, then what does that have to look like? What does that need to do? So let's have a discussion around that. Why not think about well, it as, and as a thought so let's, so let's start asking the first question, which is how much power does a mega cloud data center actually need? I went off to do searching for this. And of course, you just can't find out. Like uh, what I learned is that AWS, Azure and Google, they don't talk about how much power they need for their data centers directly. There's a bunch of indirect where local approvals, when they make approvals to the day you know to to local authorities they have to publish how much it is when you go off in a search around i had to find it on a on a very obscure website and this is from 2020 so if we talk about what happens in north virginia in america which is actually a, a, a terminus filler a lot of data centers there's various discussions around just how many but you're talking a significant percentage of the global compute capacity is actually based around north virginia and the reason for that is by and large two things one is it's got access to power and that is the primary one there's a bunch of uh, renewable power in that area i believe most of it is hydro and the second thing is it's actually quite well located for telecoms when the they first started building the data centers there, there was a lot of fiber running through the approximate area. And it's also suitably located so that if they have to run new fibers into the area, it's not a massive pain to be able to do that. I like what you said about the fact that there's actually reliable power there. And all I could think of was, yeah, Texas, maybe not so much with the <laughs> yeah. grid, yeah. but carry on. Yeah, well, Texas has got a problem with power generation in that it's not got a very good internal grid. Texas is too small. Right to generate its own power reliably, but it's also made a choice not to connect its grid to the wider, to it through its neighboring states. So to be able to draw extra power in if it needs it. If you have a power consumption spike for whatever reason, there's no more power. And so you've actually got this situation where microgeneration in and around the state of Texas is actually necessary. Homeowners are expected to have their own generators because the grid itself doesn't have the capacity at peak times. 
that's fundamentally sort of where the decision that the Texas government has gone down. But you can't do that for a data center, right? If you're going to generate your own power, you still don't know how much power you need, right? Or can you? Right? Just give you some stats here. In 2020, which was this uh, thing I found, which will be a link in the show notes, Facebook is the largest buyer with 562 megawatts of contracted capacity. Amazon with 452 megawatts and Microsoft with 330 megawatts, T-Mobile with 178 and Apple with 134. This is just for Virginia. So you're talking hundreds of megawatts and they're talking most of the renewal capacity for energy generation in Virginia, which is approximately 1.7 megawatts or 1.7 gigawatts is contracted in corporate PPAs. Now, corporate PPAs are contracts to supply. So you say, I want to be able to buy power on a sustained basis. So you will go um, and do a purchase power, a power purchase agreement with an electricity vendor. They will then guarantee to supply you within the terms of the agreement, a long-term. The price is often fixed. A, a data center provider normally buys power from a provider at a fixed price. What happens in the end of, you know, in the back end, of course, is there'll be some inner trading. The power generator has to pay the grid to transmit the power. If you can locate your data center next to the power source, you don't have to pay the grid. If you're not connected to the grid, you can obviously then not draw power from somewhere else in the grid. So if your local power station goes down, then you have to have a connection to the grid to be able to draw power from some other power generator. I'm just going to interrupt to restate something briefly, um, just to remind everybody, when you say PPA, it's a corporate power purchase agreement. You mentioned it once, just in case somebody was like sipping yeah. coffee at that exact moment. PPA, power purchase agreement, very yeah. fundamental when you're building data centers and planning to power them. This is one of the interesting things about data centers. And so when the early days of cloud computing came along, there was just spare capacity. And the power generators were happy to sign up and say, sure, we'll give it to you almost for nothing because it was just unused capacity. They'd sort of overbuilt the electrical generation capacity and were hoping that factories would come in and use that capacity or homes would use more electricity and so on. And so in the early days, electricity to these big data centers was actually quite cheap. The power companies just said, well, we've got a you know power generator that can produce this much we'll just and we're not generating it so we can sell it well it's great that's free money now of course you have a situation where so much power is now being diverted into the the mega data centers especially for the mega cloud providers that you're actually running out of capacity in the civilian grid and mm -hmm. now what we have is governments turning up so in ireland for example they have uh, put a moratorium on any data center permits until 2028 and there's 50, Whoa. 52 Whoa. outstanding permits. They actually canceled dozens of them because they don't have enough power in the grid. They gave some provisional approvals expecting a new power grid, a new generation capacity to come online. Uh -huh. And then they realized that it was going to take them 15 years. So this is the other thing, right? What's the immediate impact to Ireland generally about that? What, is, what does this actually mean? Because... Well, Ireland was I, very popular for the mega companies like Facebook and so forth. Mm -hmm. You put your data centers there and then you can use the Irish government uh, has a very low tax regime. And they also have very favorable uh, privacy okay. conditions. And then they can run what's called the double tax, the double Dutch tax scheme, where they run the profits out of Ireland over to Liechtenstein and then through Holland and then they wash back to America with zero tax. Got it. So... Like, so basically, they avoid this the US really tax hurt, and the European tax, right, by the way. So, right. This yeah. doesn't, yeah, no, I hear you. This doesn't hurt 
Ireland per se. Well, it does in the sense that that, you know, it hurts the Irish economy because more people seeking tax breaks and building data centers aren't going to yeah. build there. But it doesn't specifically hurt Ireland. It just hurts the, the folks that are we're taking advantage of these cool tax breaks. That's right. And because they don't want to go and put them in Holland where the electricity is more expensive or in France where because and they have to pay tax. Yeah. yeah. And then they lose some of the tax breaks. Not all of them. They still get them. They can still do the double dutch, but they don't want to build another data center away from the other one. They'd rather split resources in the same geographic area. Right. Wouldn't you want to? You know, put the, all your data centers in Ireland if you could, right? Because right, right, because no. that's where I mean, the cables thinking, land from America, right? Geographically, that's the yeah, that's the other big advantage. Yeah, yeah. it's like Hawaii on the other side of the United States. So yeah, and you're inside Europe for data sovereignty purposes and so forth and so on. So you don't want to put all of your data centers there. You might want to put some in, you know, up on mainland Europe as well. But by and large, this is something that's been happening for quite some time. Now you have this situation. So if you're a mega cloud provider, you're negotiating with the power generators to take significant amounts of power. And we're talking hundreds of megawatts. When you're talking about a significant data center of any sort of, you know, when we start talking about football pitch size data centers, everybody's got to measure mm-hmm. football pitches for some reason. I, but, I have no idea why, because that that's meaningless to me, but okay. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, <laughs> you know, paddock size data center. So not small corporate ones, I'm talking about large ones. You're typically talking about power measured in the 100 to 150 megawatts for a you know, an AWS data center. So that's a lot of power. But when you're talking about a generation, so if you're talking about deploying a power generation plant, right? So like a coal-fired plant or a nuclear plant, you're talking about gigawatts. So you're talking about something that's going to operate up in 20 to 50 gigawatts of power production. So you've got this problem where the customers of the power generation aren't big enough to demand their own data center. They're actually subscale in that sense. But they are big enough that they're actually a problem with supply. So if you say, I bring on a new data center, they take 100% of the load 100% of the time. Does that make sense? Uh, it almost makes sense. When you said the customers aren't big enough to require their own data center, they actually require, they have their own data center. They're just not big enough to require their own power station is what That's you're right. saying. Yeah. And yeah, when yeah. You, so then okay. you think, yeah. well, why aren't they building their own power stations? And the answer there, of course, is building a power station takes a decade probably, you know, to go through the approvals, you have to connect well, to the Well, yes, but no. And mm. I know you're about to talk about uh, modular nuclear and mm. uh, nuclear plants. And there's also the, you know, whole liquid natural gas phenomenon, which is really amazing because it's super, super fast because mm. you can you can create these floating or mobile liquid natural gas power generators. But that's a different, that's a different, slightly different than what you wanted to talk about. But yeah. Just to address that immediately, generally gas is only used for what's called peakers. You do your bulk generation out of nuclear or out of coal because when you generate power, they turn on and they generate gigawatts of power, and you can't I will, turn them yeah, up and I, down I, by and large. I, I will. I will actually politely beg to differ. There's a there's a company called New Fortress Energy that's actually trying to tra- change the paradigm for yes. liquid natural gas, and they're doing some interesting stuff in the island of Puerto Rico, just for the sake of comparison in terms of these numbers, you're talking about, okay, a data center needs like 200 to 500 megawatts. A a medium-sized power plant station is generating gigawatts, and that's the fundamental problem we're talking about here. Uh, Then a liquid natural gas plant for, say, Puerto Rico just came online actually last month, Mm. and that is 300 megawatts. So, yeah, it would would solve a a single data center maybe, but it's a big advantage. So maybe you only need 100 megawatts today. Right. And so now you're 
your gas generator is subscale. It's not operating at optimum output, which might be 300 megawatts, because in five years, you might be able to scale up the data center to something. Well, well that, and that's and that's the big thing is they do modular. But yeah. I don't want to you know go off on down on that path, right. because essentially what we're talking about is, is modular power plants. Mm. And the interesting ones are in nuclear power. But it's also worth noting that they're happening also in liquid natural gas. Yes, that's they all. are. That's but really all I'm reading. Historically, natural gas has only been used for short burst because yeah. it hasn't been cost effective. And right. And, also, that's, and that's what's changing. Yes. And also green. So there's Right. The, and also green. Although people don't although, want to have gas yeah. generation, uh, you know, in certain areas. Although weirdly enough, quite a lot of, you know, don't want nuclear either. And I say weirdly <laughs> enough, we all know the problems with nuclear. But at the same time, you know, do you want to burn fossil fuel? No. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? Solar, wind and hydro is not going to get you there. Today, diesel generators uh, are available up to about two and a half gigawatt, uh, two and a half megawatts. So, if you wanted to power a modern, you know, something like a, a major data center, which is say doing fifty, you're talking about running fifty to hundred diesel generators, even as an on an emergency basis, right? And all I can think of, yeah, for back for backup, all I can think of is the racket that's going to make. <laughs> well, not just the racket, but also they release oh, no, large amounts of nitrogen oxide. They release vast amounts of particulates. So just because mm-hmm. you're a generator doesn't mean you're not releasing particulates like diesel cars did. Remember that big kerfuffle yep. about where the, the cars were lying about how much particulate matter in, indeed mm-hmm. in built up cities, you're seeing diesel vehicles being excluded from towns unless they've actually got clean air certifications because of the particulate matter that they release. And then of course there's CO2. So you actually end up with this, there's three parts. And if you're running 50 diesel generators, you've also got a problem with diesel. So I don't know if many people know, but diesel has a shelf life, modern diesel has a shelf life of about 12 months. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to get it out a bit longer, you have to buy special diesel, which is high oil and not a lot of ethanol. A lot of the modern diesel is a mix of ethanol and oil-based diesel or hydrocarbon diesel. And if you want it to be able to sit in a tank for more than two or three years, you have to get this special diesel. And then you have to put in additives on a regular basis. So diesel has become much less attractive as a generation source in recent times because you know there are regulations to say your diesel must be cut with this much percentage of ethanol to be able to be environmentally friendly. We need to reduce our consumption of hydrocarbons and people are using ethanol derived from sugar or from corn or some sort of you know right. organic matter. So you have this problems with diesel where you have to then, if you've got a massive diesel tank, now you've got to be able to continue to monitor it to make sure the diesel's healthy. You have to put additives in it so bacteria doesn't grow in there. So diesel generation is useful as a backup. And I found this uh, a, a report here uh, an application from Amazon requests 105 backup diesel generators and four diesel-fired fire pumps to be located. These these units will have the ability to generate 674 megawatts of power, and this requires industrial emission licenses, which you have to have to submit when you generate more than 50 megawatts. You get an idea of the scale here. Right. And I just want to add one thing before you move on from diesel. For those of you using diesel as backup generation, that's actually why your backup your diesel maintenance and backup generator maintenance has to be part of your yeah. uh, data center resilience mm-hmm. plan and your and, and your business continuance plan. And that's where we've seen like most of the cases where something's failed is yeah. usually because somebody forgot to maintain the, the generator because they just thought it was set it and forget it and walk <laughs> yeah. away. And it's quite expensive too. And after a period of time, two, three years, the diesel has to be siphoned off and replaced. 
and then it has to be taken away for either dumping or reprocessing. There are issues associated with all that. But, you know, when we're talking about megawatts of capacity and, you know, 500 megawatts of capacity in this case, you're just talking about such a such an enormous number of, you know, generators and so forth, right? And then even after the generators, you have to have all the infrastructure to feed the power into transformers and so forth to get it into the data center itself. So there's a big cost there. This is where gas generators are very good because compared to diesel generators on site, I believe, haven't been able to 100% confidence with this, gas generators as an alternative to diesel is very popular because it doesn't have the diesel problem and you don't have the toxic waste and the gas doesn't need to be replaced so often. At least that is as I understand it. But you probably wouldn't want to use it. You wouldn't use these for sustained. You'd use these for backup. No, when, and I, I think most yeah. folks don't at this point. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mm. was assuming that everybody always used diesel for backup because that's those, the data centers I'm familiar with use them. Uh, is there anyone that's still using diesel for primary? I, I would think not. I don't think the price of diesel yeah. makes that effective. And then the maintenance that you have to put into diesel uh, equipment is just enormous. Uh, you know. Well, if anyone listening to this knows otherwise, uh, just shoot us a note because we're just curious. Um, so there's so diesel. in the same so article, Microsoft not gonna... intends to yeah. build 22 gas generators with a combined capacity of 162 megawatts that would be used for 2,920 hours a year. That's 100 days. Mm-hmm. Um, so get you get an idea, right? <laughs> because if you right. divide 2,920 two, divided up by 24, that's one third of a year on the, on the mm-hmm. gas generation. I would think that that's a peak cycle or something. So that sounds to me like they are buying power from the grid and then at peak times they actually drop the capacity in their data they drop their takedown from the grid and then prop it up with gas generation and then once that 7 to 9 p.m. period or whatever it is so effectively what they're deploying there is gas peakers and that way they get a cheaper license because then the power generator in the grid doesn't have to supply all the power at the peak period which is the problem for power generation you start to see some of the challenges when you're building a data center now if you follow me a lot, you'll notice that one of the things that I talk about is this is why cloud is getting more and more expensive. In the early mm-hmm. days, they got cheap power and it was almost very low cost. They were taking up available capacity. Now, if you want to build a data center on the AW, you know, like a mega cloud or a tier two cloud, you have to spend an awful lot of money getting deciding how you're going to provide your own power. Do you tap the grid? How much power can you get from the grid? How much can you lock up in a contract? If you think about it, when you're going to the grid or to the power generation saying, I want a contract, how long do you want to sign a contract for? Two years? Three years? What if the power gets cheaper in five years over the life of the contract? Or what if it gets more expensive? How? What's the costing? What's that cost you in your data centers? How do you control the cost of the supply cost of your electricity? Do you pay a variable cost or do you just try and sign up for a fixed cost over the five years? If you're going to, if you wanted to say, well, why don't they just build a power station to run the data center? Well, A, we talked about the size, but you're also talking about a power generation, like a a civilian scale power generator. You're talking about something that's in the 30 to 50 gigawatts or more, anything up to 2000 gigawatts of power. And they they operate on a 30 to 50 year timeline. Do you think Amazon wants to sign up for a 30 year supply contract? I think they're way too smart to sign up for a 30-year supply contract, <laughs> exactly. is what I think. But if you're going to build a power station, you would want a 30-year supply contract. If you're going to build a power station just for Microsoft and Google, you need a long-term supply contract to justify spending a couple of billion to put a power plant in place that's going to need fueling and maintenance and all that sort of stuff. I think that part is actually the key here. Mm-hmm. The cloud companies now need to start thinking about doing their own power generation. And this is why. It's this whole... I can't do it with conventional means. I can't, the grid is no longer, I'm now too big for the grid, but I'm not large enough to justify making my own large scale infrastructure for power generation. So now you're down into how do you generate power at this 
type of capability. You've really got to start saying to yourself, ah, modular, enter the modular power. So now you start thinking about on-site generation. Now, we talked about small modular reactors. This is something that the nuclear industry is very excited about. Um, The idea is that you would um, buy a small modular nuclear reactor there. I think they're not very large. If I remember rightly, they're about three meters across the core Mm -hmm. reactor chamber. And you dig a hole in the ground and you bury them. And then you pile up, you know, you build a little mound of dirt around them. So they're actually underground. And then you kind of forget about them for 30 years. That's how I understand. Have you done much? You know as much about this as me. I, I actually have not dug deeply mm. into this. So um, I'm interested to learn from that uh, yeah. as well. I think the, the main question I would sort of kick back to you is the usual question is nuclear waste. What do we do about it? The fueling capabilities, these would be one and done. So when they get buried in the ground, they don't need to be refueled because they're not outputting huge No, 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 no. But I mean the waste. So yeah. once once, once we generated the waste, are you saying these are basically like little kerrigs? The reactor would have to be disassembled and the waste would then be sent away to be buried in the normal means. Yeah. Got it. Got it. it. But the whole point it. is the whole reactor itself is sort of you, you wrap it in a plastic bag or obviously not a real yeah. plastic bag, yeah. but the equivalent, isolate the damn thing cart the whole thing off. You're not yeah. trying to go in and scrape out the, the the nuclear waste, which is much more much more complex and difficult as with the larger ones. You're just yes. saying this reactor, this is a, you know, this is a consumable. That's why I said a Kerrig, you know, it's it's just this little pod of a reactor and you throw the whole pod out along with all the That's right. You know, that, all- my understanding is they basically get mostly assembled in a factory and then moved to mm-hmm. site. So it's not like mm-hmm. a, a the normal nuclear reactor where they spend 15 years building it building but all the safety for this is largely built in a factory and then there's a fair amount of preparation in the earthworks of course to do with Mm -hmm. it can't sink and earthquakes and what happens if there's a runaway reaction but my understanding is that small modular reactors are being designed so that there's no chance of a runaway reactor of course safety and all that sort of stuff but basically there's not enough fissile material in there to get a that would not conceivably lead to a nuclear explosion if that makes sense i'm sure there's a risk still but You've still got yeah. radiation risk. Yeah, I mean, there's always the risk. There's radiation, but mm. you can actually treat that with, as you said, how you prepare the earth, how you prepare mm. everything around it. And, you know, the more modular it is, the less human interaction you need, which is where you get most of the mistakes. So they're talking about somewhere today, they're talking about SMRs running in 30, 300 megawatts to one gigawatt. So a thousand megawatts. Oh, that's perfect. So, you yeah, just... you buy one for your you buy mm-hmm. one for your data center with an option to buy another one. In fact, you mm-hmm. can see how the finances work. That's I get right. one and a discount on the second. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, there is a risk around modular reactors in the same way there is around diesel. But the data centers are usually very carefully controlled environments. You know, they're, they're manned 24 hours a day. There's a constant security presence. So if you came to a local government or a federal government with an approval saying, I want to put a small modular reactor near my data center complex, which is already mm-hmm. manned 24-7, monitored up to the wazoo. It's got cameras. Right. You've got tech nerds all around it. I can give you physical security. And it's, and it's automated and you've got your robots everywhere. And yeah. and yeah. But, it does yeah. make sense in that uh, prima facie, like on the face of it, right. you can put a reactor in, you get yeah. your baseload generation. You probably need two of them, one for certain, or you have a bunch of other generations. So one of the things that you do see if you spend a lot of time looking at physical data centers, you see a lot of data centers now have gas turbines, natural gas generators, which we talked about, where they use those to generate power under peak load or in brownout situations. We're seeing a lot of them start up with various fuel cells of various types. 
I think for listeners in the U.S., the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission just just earlier this year approved the design. And there is a company called New Scale Power mm. that actually makes them. So essentially, I'm sure they're super happy with all of this. But the other thing I'm thinking about, Greg, and I'll toss this over to you. Remember, we started by talking about how Texas is kind of just too small to be its own country, but it mm. still tries and it has yeah. its own grid. Why wouldn't Texas buy a whole bunch of these things, link them all together and back them up with wind power. To be used in civilian purposes, they have to be connected to mm. a grid. And right, the grid and they means, can connect it to the Texas grid. Yes. All of the grids are designed to be built around one big power generator that's generating- Oh, because, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, so, gigawatts. So, basically, so basically the answer is Texas designed has a, you know, like what you like to call heirloom design for yeah. its, its grid. So it would actually have to spend money, which Texas doesn't like to do, yeah. to spend money to re-architect its grid. But I'm thinking, Well, most of the grid the would have heck? to be replaced. Because right, right. Well, you know, you've, got the, you've got those massive yeah. pylons with the cables yeah, way up. Yeah, 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 well, if you're only yeah. generating in the 300, say, yeah. to 500 megawatt range, well, you just need normal power lines. But they've got to go to the places where they need to be. You've got to have a generator here, and then you've got to take it to the, and the blah, blah, blah. So it's not just a case of connecting it to the grid, and then fingers crossed it's not. You have to balance the grid. Right, right, right. And then it also okay. has to be synchronized here. So remember that AC is a fluctuating wave. At fifty to six, at, I think it's fifty hertz in America, right? Mm -hmm. One hundred twenty volts. Uh, I thought hertz. it was sixty, actually, sixty yeah. hertz. Yeah. You actually have to have that absolutely in phase. So right. when you feed in, you have to be able to say, "I'm feeding," because otherwise it'll cancel the signal out. If you bring it in out of phase, you actually don't add power to the grid. You're actually sucking it out of the grid. Shoot, Greg, and I had another question for you on this. Can you make black start? Um, can you use these, you know, modular nuclear power things to be dark? What do they call them? Black start, dark start. Fast so, start. Yeah. no, not fast, but yeah. black. Because essentially, what I'm looking at is the whole issue of everybody knows we're gonna, we're overdue for another Carrington event, which is you know massive solar radiation oh, yeah, that yeah. knocks solar out storm. all. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the thing is, a little known fact that most uh, most power plants cannot start if you if, if they're completely depowered, they're toast. There's yeah. only a couple of black start or dark start. I forget what the phrase uh, is of no, these that can these, launch. They still they need start. power source to start because okay. they have to start pumping okay. the water before you can heat it, like all power Got stations. Got it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. So yeah. you you would probably, if you You would get away with it better because you're going to, because I would say that most of these sites will still have some sort of solar capability or gas turbine or, you know, some other form of generation as a spike or a backup or whatever. Yeah, I'd also want to better understand what happens to the reaction if you suddenly just like, boom, everything's gone. Um, uh, lot, well, all the reactors have a, col uh, a hard stop and the rod, right. you know, if the power goes out, all the rods just, all the safety rods just inject into the chamber. Now, for the modular ones, does that just mean that's all she wrote? You're dead now? I don't know. I haven't gotten that That's far. an interesting question. There's, so It's so, too early in the design cycle to get into right. that, right? So you're still oh, getting, yeah, 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 but what, when you say approved, what it means is, you're approved to take it to the next stage, right? Yes. In other words, you can't do nuclear without a whole bunch of, uh, there's local approvals yes. and there's uh, global approvals. There's, a, there's an overarching right. nuclear mm -hmm. body, which is very contentious. A lot of countries don't like that overarching one, but everybody agrees that the worldwide nuclear organization is the ultimate arbiter. Even to just do the testing to date, you have to have local government approvals just to keep the designs going and start working. And you want to have them because you don't, if you're building an SMR design, you want to have the approvals in place as a confidence that you can take them to market because you wouldn't want to spend 10 years designing these and then suddenly find people saying, we don't want them. Oopsie. Yeah, right. So approvals are not really a guidepost that it's a success. It's more or 
that the final yeah, approval it's more of a it, it just means it's real mm. um i think is is for people and it it's realer in uh you know late 2023 than it was a year ago which is That's actually right. very very mm-hmm. significant so this is actually super timely so that, let me ask you i know we're getting close to the end and i know you have a couple more points to mm-hmm. make if i'm a you know head of strategy i'm the cto for an enterprise should i be considering these what like what should i have in the back of my head should I be asking cloud companies what their power strategies are and see if they include uh, modular modular nuclear reactors? What I, I don't think it matters to the enterprise generally, unless you've got your own factory and you want to start powering your own factory, so for consistent power generation. So you mm. could tie into the grid which quite a lot well. of our listeners do have, in fact. Mm-hmm. So you know, I so think yeah, you see you... more of that where they're generating your own power might be desirable as we move away from traditional generation, like this idea of mega scale generation, mm-hmm. moving back to micro generation where these reactors, and because they're close by, you can either put, you know, if you've got excess power, you can push it into the grid again, but it depends on, you know, how proactive and forward looking these companies can be. Could you put your data center and a factory together? Potentially, like Potentially, that, that's very um, far thinking. That's very not the way business works today. No, but that's strategic thinking, and yeah. this is heavy strategy. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would actually suggest in the here and now is if you're looking at, you know, uh, not necessarily cloud-based, but hosted, you know, using an Equinix or equivalent mm. in different in different geographies, I think it's reasonable to have them give you both a mm. current and future roadmap for their pl- power strategy because yeah. of everything you said here. You really want to know, you know, hey, what's what? What are the plans? Well, I think there's a few. There's there's lots of sub issues here. Like one of the things that's happening is that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the mega clouds are now actually building their own transformer stations or power stations right. because they're finding the ones that are in the grid are very old, and right. when failure conditions occur, what can happen is when the because there's so much power being moved around and being redistributed, when there's a, under a failure condition, it's quite often blowing the civilian transformers to the power grid. And those transformers are often 30, 50, 70 years old. So what they now I ju- have- I just want to stop yeah. for a second and say that you have differentiated between data center and uh, cloud providers and civilians. Yes. Which is a really interesting mental What's well, the best word I because- could come up with? What do you want to- Like, we're talking about no, civilian I know what you mean. power generation I- as opposed to private generation, right? Or I-, I know what you mean. You mean yeah. like consumer and normal business yeah. versus cloud. And I, yes. I, But it's just interesting that you use civilian yeah, in that context. I, I, I did futz around with the terminology there for a while. So, But I, do, I think probably the big takeaway here is where once AWS was able to make things cheaper by getting to scale, we're now seeing Azure and Google now spending more and more money trying to stay in business because they're operating at a scale, right? You can't just buy power from the grid and put more computers in a data center and get cheaper. Now you've actually got to build your own power generation. You've got to build your own spike generation. You've got to be able to handle the failback. Instead of having just like a couple of, you know, a a one gigawatt diesel generator at the back, now you've got to have 50 of them. That means that you've now got to have enough diesel, you've got all the infrastructure for the, the physical side, but then you've also got the electrical infrastructure to feed that in to the data center. So, so basically to sum it all up, you're saying that cloud economics has always fundamentally been a power arbitrage game. It is. And, and, now, and now the you know the basic economics have changed. So look for the economics of cloud. To well, AI paint. is a classic here, right? They're now, oh, you're yes. now talking for every, I'm reading a thing here from Sequoia, and they're saying for every $1 spent on a GPU, roughly $1 needs to be spent on energy costs to run the GPU in a data center. Hmm. If you think that if I, I don't actually believe that AI will continue to be in a 
its current form. It has to get no much less power, use much less power. Well, and they are and they are building. You know, there's there's companies out there building much cheaper, uh, much mm. less power hungry silicon. But yes, yes, right now. But, the, you but, know, but for, again, for the, the time being, yes. the reason the cloud's getting more expensive is because now they have to build custom chipsets. They build custom yes. ASICs. They build custom this, and that goes all the way down from the buildings that they're in using natural cooling and convection cooling, and they build their own custom racks. They build custom power supplies, but they're also building custom grid power. So they have to build, mm-hmm. they design their own transformers. They design their own interconnect. They design their own generator. They have, uh, one of the things we haven't quite talked about is on-site storage. So you're talking, a lot mm-hmm. of these companies actually have power batteries you mean batteries. of various types, right? Yeah. So if you have a power break from the grid, these batteries kick in to hold you over for 60, 60 seconds, 60 minutes until right. the generator, you know, your backup power can come online. Now, this is one place which is very exciting because a lot of these companies are doing very exciting environmental stuff here, taking on experimental takes on new types of batteries, flow batteries, iron air, iron salt, mm-hmm. salt water. We're talking geothermal in some cases. Some of them are using hydrogen, although I think hydrogen's a dead end in my, to myself. They're well suited, again, to experimentation. They often have a lot of space. They're often well regulated. They're regularly inspected. It's easy they, they being They being, in this case, data centers. Yes, data centers right. are well suited to experimentation. Yeah, because okay, everybody's cool. constantly inspecting all of this stuff. Whereas if you tried to put these, you know, these types of new battery storage technologies can provide like uh, the Iron Air one I was looking at can provide power for up to 60 hours. So this isn't lithium iron batteries or lithium phosphate batteries. This is mm-hmm. Iron Air. They take up the, the power density is very low. So these actual batteries are huge. You're talking, right. you know. Big fluffy batteries, big, not fluffy, little like, dense. Made out of iron. Yeah, fluffy. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. But they very cheap not suitable at all for putting in cars or anything like that. And most data centers have a lot of space because they build with big buffers around them for security purposes. So you can go over there and say, like, I'm going to put 40 containers of iron air batteries over there. That's fine. You know, they can do that. So there's some interesting experimentation that's going to come up in there. And I also think tech companies have got an appetite for risk. They're willing to bring on new technology and try out ideas at the sort of scale that, you know, these companies are building out data centers. They can say, I could certainly try this new battery technology at this place knowing full well that if it doesn't work, they could replace it with something else. Well, and on that and that note, I think we need to wrap up. Hopefully we've managed to spark your spark your interest, you know, play some uh, play some what if games. And potentially you may be one of the companies that's thinking about uh, your own modular nuclear reactors or modular power plants for data centers, for manufacturing or, you know, other futuristic purposes. This is Heavy Strategy. Greg, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find us on packetpushes.net. If you've enjoyed, you can join us on our Slack channel. If you go to packetpushes.net slash Slack, you can go and sign up and join the discussion there. Lots of people are talking about various things. And of course, they can go over to your community, Jonah. Yes, that is nemertes.com. Join the community. We post lots of interesting uh Lots of interesting news items and other things. And most importantly, Greg and I hang out there and continue our debates there online. So uh, finally, uh, don't forget that we're always looking for your thoughts, your input. So please go to Packet Pushers. What is it? Packetpushers.net slash FU for follow up. Mm -hmm. And let us know what you think. It can be anonymous. We don't care about capturing your email. If we do capture your email, we might send you a thank you note just for giving us the feedback. Positive, negative, whatever you want to say, tell us. Thanks very much.